Hey friends, and welcome to You Deserve to Love Your Job with me, Arlene Pace Green. My goal is to help you identify and achieve your greatest aspirations and have a lot of fun along the way. I'm so glad you've joined me on this journey. Let's go. I am so excited to let you know that the You Deserve to Love Your Job book is available. It's in paperback and Kindle. I wrote the book for anyone who is looking for more purpose, more meaning, and more joy in your work and life. Filled with examples, quizzes, and experiences from real people, including me, and the book lays out a roadmap to help you clarify your purpose and create an action plan to achieve it. Go get it. It's available on Amazon. Hello, everyone. You have come to the right topic today. I think about how much time we all spend talking to friends, clients, family, just each other about ways to best balance the things of life, our responsibilities, our dreams, our work, etc. And the conversation today is enlightening. It's linked to chapter three in my book, which is called Build Whole Life Dreams. And that came from my research and my learnings around how important it is to consider all of the things of life that are important to you as you plan out your life. And today you get to hear a conversation I had with an expert on this topic, Dr. Valerie Morganson. Valerie earned her doctorate in industrial and organizational psychology and works at the University of West Florida, teaching undergraduate and graduate students and conducting research on work, family, and women's issues. Dr. Morganson has published over 30 papers about workplace issues and was recently promoted to full professor. Congratulations, Dr. Morganson. In addition to her academic role, she conducts research for applied purposes and provides consultation to businesses on this and other topics. And this is so, so good. Uh, I am so glad you all joined. You're going to learn and you're gonna love it. And I hope you enjoy. So welcome everyone to the podcast and thank you for joining and thank you, Dr. Morganson for joining as well. For the audience sake, I'll share how we know each other. We both went to the same college for graduate school, which is Old Dominion University. So shout out to the Monarchs. And I was thinking I was there a while ago. I remember when I was there, we didn't have a football team, but I remember all the t-shirts said ODU football undefeated, (laughs) which I thought was funny. They have one now. So I don't know. They might've had one when you were there too, because you were there a little after I was. And then we also worked on a research paper together that was actually on this topic. I was thinking it was a while ago, probably over 10 years ago, but we were together with some other researchers on a paper on this topic. And it was a hot topic then. And I feel like it's even maybe even a hotter topic now because of so much that's happened in our world. Um, But thank you for joining. Yeah, thank you for having me. I think I also maybe um, was there before the football team got added. (laughs) Yes, that was a, um, they've grown a lot since we were both there, actually. They've grown a lot. So I I don't know, I'm curious just on that first question. Have you noticed an increase in interest in this topic? It feels like it to me in terms of my clients and just friends talking to people just because of the, probably the pandemic and all the things that have happened. But have you noticed that as well? Yes, absolutely. Uh, So there's a lot more interest in work family issues and a a bunch of different reasons for that. But one way that I've noticed it is that when COVID hit, citations to a paper that I published about telework 
just mm-hmm. shot up like crazy. People were very interested in the impact of telework on work family issues. But in general, balancing work and personal life issues just has become so much more popular. COVID amplified it, but it was already being amplified before then because pretty much nobody can afford to have just one person having a career in a household. So couples are both balancing that. And this um, more, more recent generations, more recent generations really care about work family issues. They, um, they do. And those boundaries between work and personal life have become so blurred with technology. Yes, they have. Yes, they have. Um, I know I was looking at a just some Google search. I'm always interested in what's on the collective minds of everyone. And to your point about flexible work, I was looking at some, um, an article about Google searches in the UK and they said that, yeah, it's like searches about work-life balance, work-life family topics are up significantly with a lot of people considering just big lifestyle changes. So they said some of the topics that were up were people searching how to make extra money from home. So to your point, I still have to make money. We both have to make money maybe, but how do I do it differently? And also just flexible work from home jobs. So people just have this kind of increased interest in that, along with a lot of the other work-life topics were high as well around friendships, you know, romance and relationships, parenting, which kind of all come together to your point, if you're at home doing it, like it's like all those things collide. So I know you've been studying this for a while. I'm curious what first got you interested in this? Like, how did you get into this topic when you did? You know, it's a funny thing because back when I first got into this topic, it was because I was interested in a career in IO psychology and this, the research lab that was open at the time was about work family issues. I happened to have a wonderful mentor as an undergrad and that really got me engaged in the topic. And once you start researching the topic, it's like you kind of develop a little bit of a niche for yourself. But over time, I have developed very intrinsic motivation for researching work family issues because I've had kids and gotten married and um, it's become more pertinent to my personal life now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. As we, as life changes, these issues definitely grow or maybe reduce in importance at different times. How would you just define work-life balance as a concept? Like, how do you think about it? Terminology is such a tricky thing with work-family or work-life issues. And that is something that it's so hard to define in part because there's so many nuances in different ways of looking at it. And I hope I can I can share some of those with you today. Mm-hmm. But I guess the first thing that comes to mind is that I think of it as a bit of a holy grail, both in terms of research and in terms of attempts at it in personal life. I think everybody kind of views it as this holy grail, like this thing that we all try to get to and that it'll have healing powers if we get to it. It can be really elusive. You try to achieve it, but you always are going to have demands and you're always going to have to strive to meet your work-life balance needs. So it's something that we all try. We all try for. We all try to meet within, you know, we've got to work and then um, and want to work usually. And then we've got our personal life roles and things that make us us and our family. So those things, that personal life role, even just that part of it is so diverse for different people that even just using the terms work and life delving into what each of those things mean is is really something we've started to make some progress in defining work-life balance but 
it's something that has evolved over time, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I could, I totally understand the Holy Grail elusive aspect of it. I was listening to something about this the other day. I was reading a book about perfectionism and they were talking about this as it, is it this idea that we all think, oh, I'm just one decision away or I'm one you know, spa day away or whatever it might be from having work-life balance, but you know, do you really ever have it? Or is it always just this concept you're striving toward as you're saying? Um, and I guess that's kind of the Holy Grail idea is like, do you ever just say, oh, check, I have it. Or is it something that we're all striving towards? I don't know. Do some people, do you see in the research, do some people have it and some people don't, or does it show up differently? Yes. And yes. And yes. Okay. <laughs> so um, it can, you know, it's originally, it was something that we studied as like snapshots, how, and, and we, defined it and I can get into some of the what how it's been defined and I think it's worthwhile to think about it in these different ways but yeah it's something that some people have more than others and because it is a function of both the person and the situation some people are more inclined to have like more susceptible to feeling conflict people that maybe have them like a more of a tendency to ruminate or sort of like more neurotic people that are really conscientious may or very high in job involvement will tend to have a harder time finding balance but also if you work in a job that has higher demands two people will tend to have high levels of conflict because of the nature of that job um, so the person factors and the environmental factors, but also um, is it, you know, there's this idea of a snapshot, but even now the research has kind of moved away from just like snapshots of things to looking at things on a daily level. So how much do you experience balance or conflicts between your different domains within a day even changes? And now it's even gotten to the point of looking at over the hours of the day how does your experience of conflict change? Because there's certain time points during the day when you may be more inclined to have conflicts. Yeah, during the day, during certain times of life. I think about like, you know, you have a sick family member or like what is work-life balance probably change. I could see that how it changes just based on the demands of your life. Okay, so you said it might be helpful to get into it. Like, so how has it changed over time or just the concept of it evolved? Originally, there was a huge focus on the idea of work-family conflict or work-life conflict, that that work and personal life roles are incompatible, mutually incompatible in some ways. And then there was kind of a breakdown of that, that it could be like your level of stress and strain, um, like how much do you tend to feel stressed out due to one role and how that impacts your other role. And then time-based, how much, like if you don't have enough time in the day for both roles, and then also like how how the behavioral expectations of your different roles might come into conflict. And that conflict perspective received so much research attention. And so how do we how do we deal with it? How do we overcome it? But then there was this more positive focus on how do work and personal life roles, how can they kind of operate synergistically or enhance Mm -hmm. each other? Mm -hmm. Like how you can take a positive mood from work and bring that home and it can help you be a better parent. You can gain skills in one domain and it can be useful in the other domain. Like you take negotiation training at work that helps you in your personal life domain, maybe in your marriage 
um, work pays the bills and that's certainly helpful in your personal <laughs> life domain, sending your kids yeah. to the schools that matter, et cetera. And I think that perspective is useful because that that old conflict perspective is useful because it is something that we see ourselves striving for. Like, how do we overcome these sort of obstacles that we that we have and sort of breaking things down to pieces kind of helps us figure out what's contributing to what more. It's more diagnostic. And I really like the idea of enrichment because I think it's so easy to get caught up in the conflict part. And yes, it is what we focus on a lot, maybe even what we're sort of wired to focus on more biologically. But if we can make an effort to focus on enrichment and to try to find the positives um, on how our work and personal life domains interact with each other. So there was a lot of research on conflict, and then there was a lot of research on these positive interfaces between work and personal life. And it's really only recently that the concept of balance has started to gain more traction. And part of the reason for that is because it has be, it has been so difficult to define. So the way that researchers have talked about it, Wendy Casper and her colleagues had a had a review paper in 2018. And so they did a really good job explaining like all the different ways that we could think of it. We could think of it as like the absence of conflict. We could think of it of as like how how engaged or satisfied are we in different roles? Do we feel like we have a fit between our demands and the resources? that we have to handle them mm -hmm. and how do values play into that? Are, are we feeling like we're matching what our values are and how we spend our time and spend our energy? How satisfied are we with our, how we're meeting different role expectations? So ultimately um, we can think of it as kind of one thing, or she also talked about how we could break it down to incorporate a lot of these different ways of thinking about balance. And as I think about work-life issues, sometimes one of these concepts fits better than others. So I, I end up kind of liking all of them. I feel like in conversations, and maybe it's the conversations are kind of maybe behind the research even a little bit. I feel like a lot of conversations are in that conflict component of how is one taking away from the other? You know, a lot of that I feel like is a discussion, and but I could see how valuable it could be to think about it in the complementary enrichment perspective on, because you're right, a lot of us are working because we have to, but also because we want to. So there's like a value in that that you love and there's something you value in your personal life as well. So like how they could complement each other, I think is a could be a new way of thinking about it for some people, because I think most of the conversation is usually like, ah, oh, how do I make these work when you now maybe if you think about it differently, there may be some new ideas that come up from a complementary perspective. Yeah. And there was um, another article. I wish I could think of the, the author's name, but it was kind of posing this idea of conflict, like the conflict and the ways that positive, these positive synergies, and you know, we could call it enrichment how ultimately those are the predictors of feelings of balance, how like the taking the positive and the negative together. And that might sort of ultimately culminate in perceptions of balance. It's like, a, it's like a holistic way. So think about the positives, but, and there may be times that conflicts have to be resolved in order to contribute as well. Like taking away negatives, adding positives. There's probably some work to do on both sides for all of us. Oh, I love that. Okay. That's really holistic. 
Yes. I mean, so what's the impact on just life outcomes on how well we do this? If we're kind of managing these roles well, whatever well is for us, I guess, essentially, but, um, or if we're experiencing more or less conflict in these spaces, are there kind of outcomes or impacts on just our lives for how well we're doing this? Yes. Uh, Tammy Allen and her colleagues did a major review of how work-family conflict was linked with different outcomes. Mm -hmm. I really liked how she grouped them together kind of into themes that we have outcomes that are more work-related, like how satisfied you are with your job, how likely you are to quit your job, how good your job performance is, how much career success you have. Um, absenteeism is a big one as a as an outcome of work-family issues. So those work-related outcomes and then non-work-related outcomes, like how satisfied are you with your life? Do you have depressive mm-hmm. symptoms? How satisfied you are in your marriage, your family? how much you have satisfaction with getting to participate in those activities that are important to you outside of traditional family. So there's the work-related, and now I've mentioned the non-work-related, but also stress-related outcomes. Like, do you engage in substance use behaviors? Do you feel burned out? Do you have high levels of stress and anxiety? And I think there was even one study that looked at when you have higher work family conflict, you tend to buy fast food and have Mm. unhealthy eating habits. I'm guilty of that one. Yeah. (laughs) Aren't we all? I say that all the time. It's like if you come home and you're exhausted and, you know, you're tired or stressed and now you have to choose what you're going to have for dinner. It's like, where's the cereal box? (laughs) It's just so easy to do what, you know, what you know you probably don't want to do when you're feeling better. So. Okay. So that, that those are, and those outcomes are positively impacted by kind of better concepts or a better sense of balance and negatively impacted by having less. Is that fair to say? Uh, Yeah. So a lot of these, these outcomes of conflict um, that this, this study was done on conflict, but there's also been one done on the positive side and had parallel outcomes. Okay. Okay. So it's, so it's pretty central to our lives then. Um, And you mentioned, you know, earlier about generations feeling different about this. And is there any nuance to that around just maybe younger generations or older generations that you've seen, or I don't even know if it's been researched yet or not? You know, one thing is that traditionalist generations were very work oriented and maybe lived at a time where the uh, the relationship between the employee and the organization was different. Like you spent your most of your career was enacted in one organization and you were loyal to them and they were loyal to you. But that situation has changed. Um, Now organizations, as they become globalized, have to respond to changes in the larger organizational environment. So they have to sometimes do layoffs, which is definitely not showing employees that they are valued and that you have that same loyalty. So in turn, employees have had to really focus on skill development and taking care of their own so that they can be okay if there's a change to mm-hmm. not expect it to, to enact their entire career in one organization. I've had some discussions in this as I've led my graduate classes. And one thing that's come up is like seeing your parents go through having a terrible job and just just giving so much for it and missing out on opportunities and then 
um, all for what to potentially get laid off. So they see this as role modeling and they make choices that are different in their in their lives. And maybe too, it's a function of privilege that you can make the choice now. You aren't stuck in a job. Those both, I could see both of those. One, the role modeling of what they've seen and then what's your reflection on that and how does that change what you do going forward? And the privilege of being able to make different choices. I, I think about my own family generations. And I think that's definitely a part of it. You know, it's like kind of for a lot of families getting to middle class was like amazing because it creates a little stability. And so just having a job that had great benefits and security was like, that was it. Like, it was like, I've made it, you know, and now mm-hmm. <laughs> all of us are like, we want to do more than that. We we want to have purpose in our job. We want, you know, we're looking for so many different things, but that is, that's definitely a privilege to be able to do that for some people. So yeah, yeah I get that. Okay. So I, you know, I'm curious about what strategies work for, like what challenges you've seen or what strategies work for you, because as you mentioned, you know, have a partner, children, a demanding job, um, career goals, all those kind of things. So I'm curious, just personally, as you've done all this research and had all these conversations, like how has it shown up for you? Like what challenges have you had or what strategies have worked for you? What's been like your personal journey with this, with this concept? I think that we research the things that are elusive to us, right? (laughs) So (laughs) I like to make that joke when people ask me about why I research work family issues. So I do think of it as like a lifelong, something that we work on for our whole life. And it's a challenge, like this idea of how one person's work family conflict can impact another person's work family conflict. Mm -hmm. There's been some research on that lately. So that's something that I've experienced, like my husband re-enlisting has has impacted my job situation. Mm -hmm. And then I feel like there's real benefit and the positive side too. Like, I feel like as a faculty member, I have so much autonomy. And that was a big part of the reason why I went into the career is because you get great autonomy and you get all these skills and things that can be helpful. And you find a lot of meaning in what you're doing. So I see it there. And also I think of there's, there's some research looking at work family in terms of like boundary management do you segment or do you integrate? And people kind of can be on a spectrum with that. So some people are really good at, or tend to or prefer to keep their work and personal life really separate mm-hmm. versus uh, just kind of like letting one bleed into the other really easily. And so mm-hmm. I have the type of job where if I don't answer my email for a little while, there'll be a huge pileup. Uh, so yeah. that's one of the things for me is that to avoid getting burned out, I really have to implement some more boundaries. Um, I've really had to learn to do some segmentation strategies. And just because I don't have the kind of work where you can completely leave work at work, and I I don't have the kind of personality <laughs> to do okay. that either, unfortunately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, setting those expectations is something that I've had to work on. And Another challenge, I think, of this job and similarly in managerial type positions, you have people that depend on you. So like my husband works in a lab and if he is sick or a kid is sick, he can call out and there's somebody that's very interchangeable with him Mm -hmm. versus for me, I might be scheduled to teach a class of 55 students. And if I my students have maybe prepared a presentation and I need to be there to support Mm -hmm. them and to evaluate them. 
Um, so like feeling like you have responsibility for other people can be mm. a source of, of conflict um, that, you know, just, I guess I've, I've learned ways to deal with conflict um, and to, I've gotten really good at planning and so that's helped me yes. a lot. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and I, I hadn't thought about it that way, but I do see those two approaches you mentioned around boundaries. Some people like to really segment. Some people like to integrate. Is there a right way or is it more of a preference type topic? Or is there a way that the research says, eh, you're probably better off if you do it this way? Or is it more of a kind of just based on who you are as a person or your demands? It is a bit of potentially a bit of a rabbit hole here because it is also, again, all of those things. Like some people have different different preferences of they prefer more to segment or integrate. And then there's the issue of how much their job allows it. And then there's fit between how they are and how much their job allows it. Mm -hmm. Um, So that, and it could kind of be bi-directional in a way because some of the studies have looked at, like how much do you allow, do you segment between work spilling into home or between home spilling into work? So people Mm -hmm. might have a boundary more one way versus another way so since Mm -hmm. there's so many nuances to it um it's hard to say like this is the way Mm -hmm. but there's some research on teleworkers that's recently come out like some qualitative type studies on what effective teleworkers are doing and segmenting seems to be very important and segmenting Mm -hmm. in in various different ways like maybe putting a sign up or setting expectations about what your work hours are and to not allow people to interrupt you during those times, like setting time where you're not thinking about work is important. And that's something that has another parallel that comes up. Like there's some research on recovery strategies and taking a cognitive break where you're not thinking about work, doing something that makes you not think about work does seem to be restorative. So Boundary management and and finding something that allows you to not think about work seem to be really effective strategies. Also, so like setting those boundaries, setting an area where you regularly work and, you know, just that that is another one of the kind of telework takeaways, too. Mm-hmm. Because I, you know, when I asked the question about boundaries and um, integration, in my mind, I was thinking about how much you allow work to kind of integrate in or pull into your personal life, but I hadn't thought about the personal life into your work. Um, but I could see how some of that could work at different times. Like it, it brought me back to a time when um, I remember during the summer or when my daughter was off, like times I would bring my daughter to work with me and she would sit with a friend of mine, you know, or whoever wasn't in meetings or I gave her a cube and she would like, love it. She'd work. And she still asked me about several of the people she met there. So I hadn't, I hadn't thought about the other way, but I could see how that could be both beneficial and challenging based on kind of your work demands, your work environment and how you like to work. Like there were times when that would have worked and times it wouldn't have worked for me, but that flexibility was actually something that helped me a lot in managing, you know, just the things that were important to me. So that's, yeah, you could think about it on both sides and figure out kind of what's best for you, I guess. I think people too have had to kind of become more used to those personal life intrusions into work since COVID. I can remember teaching remotely and my son buzzing by behind me. I could see the students' faces on Zoom looking back and forth as that was happening. There's a funny YouTube video about um, a newscaster for the BBC and he was oh, yeah. 
doing is you have you seen that the the kid that burst into the room yeah and the mom crawls in to get the oh i love that that was just so such a good example of life today it was like she crawls in and yanks him out oh yeah i love that yeah yeah that's that's another example of mm -hmm. personal popping into work um in sometimes planned and unplanned ways so yeah i love that okay that's really interesting that's really interesting and you know when i think about just what's right for you i know i've worked with some people that really like having work being the lion's share of their life like they are committed to their work they love working like it's what they want to do and so they put a lot of just emphasis value time into the work side and you know they have things they're doing in their life as well but i don't i don't know that they experience as much conflict because their priority and value is so heavy in one space versus the other do you see that or what do you think about that concept of like I think sometimes when we hear work-life balance or, you know, work-life conflict, people kind of have it on a scale, like I'm working as much as I'm lifing or whatever it might be. But it seems like for some people, there's probably, you know, some people, those scales are not evenly weighted and they seem to be okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good issue to bring up. Like um, there's this concept of your preferences of work like what's your big value and mm -hmm. that definitely varies by individual so people people for whom work is a big part of their identity are going to be more okay with mm -hmm. um spending a whole lot of time at work but i also wonder to and i don't think that there's that much research on this like how did those values and tendencies change over time you might be really work oriented and just give everything for your job. And then something happens at work that changes your values, or maybe you have like a major loss in your life that changes your values. So I don't know that we've really looked at what those value changes over time look like and how it changes people's behavior. Yeah. I was just listening to a story from someone saying that, that work had been their major thing. They loved it and they lost their spouse. And it just totally upended what they wanted to focus on. And then values totally changed and now are spending much more time like with their, you know, extended family and nieces and nephews. And so I, yeah, I guess I could see that how your values based on whatever your experiences are change over time. So a lot of it's about, are you in alignment with whatever you value, I guess at that mm -hmm. time, and that can change. So I know you've done research around what organizations can do to support their people and managing these things um, and any kind of tips or ideas or like what the research says around what can, what can organizations or businesses do to better support their people since we know it's so important to everyone and probably one of those engagement am I staying or not staying factor <laughs> like what can organizations do or managers do to better support people in this space I think it's easy to first think about policies and work family friendly policies and like is to the organization provide on-site daycare that kind of thing mm -hmm. but actually probably what has more of an impact like the study that that you had mentioned that you and i worked on with um, some colleagues is that managers have a big influence on people's work family issues and other research has supported this as well that you could have policies on the books but your supervisor might need to sign off on using them or might help need to help you navigate the barriers to using them or might have to help you um, make you even aware that the policy exists or that it's even an option to do something that helps you deal with your work family issues. Mm -hmm. So 
what supervisors can do is really important and leadership seems to be a really important practical sort of leverage point to dealing with work family issues and i'm biased because that's where my biggest research interest is because i do think it's a big lever for making an impact you can provide there's some research on what supervisors can do to be supported by there's things that they can do to make changes for you to help you with your schedule there's ways that they can kind of just listen and be there and so that's some some of kind of what we had uncovered in our article that there's so much that supervisors can do and even if you can't make a tangible change just listening um, and being a good role model can be important too I mean I think that can be empowering if you're in a leadership role you know is which is it feels like research on so many topics always points back to the importance of the manager, you know, that an organization can have one set of values or culture, even a team, but your direct manager has so much impact on your life as a, as a person. I certainly have felt that in my roles. I've had, I've worked with some amazing managers that just help make life so much easier, you know, and we were still able to do all the work and great, great, great things done and live life in an easier way because you just work with some amazing people. So I think it's, it was always encouraging to me that the role of the leader. So regardless to your point of the policies or whatever else is around you that you can't control as a manager, you can listen. I mean, you can support, you can support a lot of scheduled changes, maybe not all of them, depending on your environment, but there's a lot of latitude you have usually to help people support what they're dealing with. You know, I always feel like that was an empowering moment for me as a leader. Like, you know, I could do something, even if the organization is not doing anything, I can do something. So are there, um, you mentioned some strategies around um, telework. Is there anything else that comes to mind for you that you would recommend as, you know, strategies or things people can think about to help better manage this for themselves? So less the organization's side, but just me as a person. Anything that comes to mind in terms of what you'd recommend people think about in terms of managing their own work and life? Yeah, so I think boundaries are important and and keeping those boundaries can be really important. Mm -hmm. Learning from your failures, because there's always going to be times when you have, you could have done things differently or better and you inevitably will have some kind of conflict. So thinking of it in terms of like a lifelong process and and finding ways with what you might do different next time uh, is really useful. But there's this concept that comes up in the counseling literature that's for counselors because it's such an emotionally exhausting job and you can deal with people that are in really tough situations. So how do you not get burned out? And the concept is self-care. And some of this literature talks about like this metaphor of putting your own oxygen mask on and how it's not selfish to do that. You're in a plane that's crashing and you put your own oxygen mask on first you're actually better helping the other people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're a people pleaser, it's helpful to think about that metaphor because it's so easy to say, yes, I'll help with this project. I'll serve on this committee. But if you're overextending yourself, are you really doing justice to those different roles that you're taking on? So just thinking about things differently and it never feels good to say no. But if you think of saying no in terms of helping the other person, as like this metaphor of putting your own oxygen mask on, it can make it easier. And ultimately 
those kind of proactive strategies for managing work family issues are going to be more effective, like preventive strategies versus mm -hmm. now you're in the midst of the conflict. What are you going to do about it? So um, just like planning and anything preventive that you can do is helpful. But even then, you're ultimately going to have some things that pop up that, that create conflict. Um, and you can kind of take them on a day to day basis. And like I said, learn what you can from them. Yeah. Yeah. Learn what you can. I love the preventive approach, like thinking forward about, you know, what could work and those ideas and the idea you mentioned about values too. I could see both, you know, that could kind of help you think about, okay, what does balance look like for me? Like, you know, what do I want it to look like for me? And am I aligned with that or not? That kind of pre-thinking. Um, yeah. Cause there'll be things you can't deal with, but at least deal with the things you can, I guess. <laughs> Let's preventatively think about the things we can recognizing that we can't think through everything, but I mean, at least think through what we can, I guess. So kind of last question in, in on this topic in general, just what do you, you wish more working adults knew about this topic? Like, what would you want them to think about or kind of any closing thoughts before we do the lightning round? Like, I was leading this session on work family issues, and it, it involved students and faculty and staff. And I had this student raise her hand in the question and answer period and just kind of threw out there so much stress that she was dealing with. Like she, her parents owned a business and she was expected to still actively be an employee at the business. And then she was a student and so forth. And I think uh, it was just interesting to hear her question, like, okay, what's my quick takeaway on, on how do I resolve this? Yeah. And I thought, this is something that you're going to sort out throughout your whole life. Think of it as an act instead of an outcome. Think of it differently. And I know it's hard to manage your boundaries. I can also only imagine how hard it is as a person making a transition, oh, like your family-owned business, of putting mm -hmm. up those boundaries for your parents that are also yeah. paying for your college, presumably. <laughs> But you're going to need to put up those boundaries because ultimately you're not going to be successful in college if you don't. Um, I, I didn't get into that detail with her, but thinking about things differently and thinking about it as an act that we always have to engage in and try to be making efforts towards is is useful. An act versus outcome say more about the difference between those two so everyone understands like what do you what's the difference between those in in your thoughts about that think of work family like you're going to have this balance that once i get once i get done with college i'm not going to have school anymore and mm -hmm. then my life will be perfect and i won't have work family conflict anymore because i won't have so much school work but by the time you get to that stage maybe you have kids or maybe you have elder care responsibilities mm -hmm. or maybe you've taken on more demands at work there's always going to be something and there's always going to be only so much time in the day so think about it on a daily basis. Like, are you today, are you doing the things that you want to do? And if it gets, you know, there's going to be days that are off, but if it gets to the point where you're not, maybe then you need to make a change. But even within the day, you can think of it differently. Like I am choosing to focus on this project today and I'm going to be okay with not making it to this laundry list of other things. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like, yeah, daily actions, daily decisions. It's, it's not like, Oh, I got it necessarily, <laughs> or, or I'm working towards it. And once I get there, Oh man, life is going to be glorious. Like it's more of a 
it's a daily, it's a daily decision, a daily action. And to your point about just how life changes, that makes so much sense too, because yeah, this one thing pops off, but then tomorrow something else pops on. So you have to kind of be in this active development of skills, whether it's boundaries or whatever you need to, to manage it. Oh, okay. Yeah. That feels more real. <laughs> I think the outcome approach is probably that elusive Holy grail thing you mentioned and daily action is, yeah, that feels more real. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Um, before I let you go, I want to do what I call a lightning round, just as, just to help people get to know you more and learn more about your background. And so one question is just, what's one thing that helped you figure out what you wanted to do for a job or career? Like what's one thing you think along the way that helped you figure out you wanted to do IO psych or um, this kind of work? I took a career interest survey um, at my campus um, when I went to the University of Connecticut and they provided some vocational tools that like helped you assess your fit with different career paths and that in doing other job shadowings that ultimately weren't a fit really helped me decide on a career path to IO and helped link me up to some great mentors in the field. So just something to keep in mind is like career services are still available even after you graduate and can have great resources. Mm, yeah. So college students and those past college students take advantage of those career services, career interest service, because you're right. A lot of times there's a lot available, even in businesses sometimes, um, but we don't always take advantage of them. So take advantage of those. Okay. Um, what's one thing you do consistently to enjoy your life? I love animals. I really, really love animals. So I've been doing, um, when I started this when I was in grad school, taking on foster dogs, and I specifically love golden retrievers, but mm. now we also have adopted a cat and we have even now adopted chickens, which I never expected, <laughs> but we really? just, we are animal lovers in my house and I truly enjoy the time with my pets. Oh, chickens. I never, you know, it's funny. I never would have thought of chickens as pets. Like I didn't think of them that way, but I guess they are because you're, I guess they are. I guess I thought of them more as like farm animals, but not necessarily pets, but that's pretty adorable. They have personalities. And I mean, I adopted them little, so my kids could enjoy them. And uh -huh. they, if, I would have never expected either, but every, every kind of animal has its special thing. His own personality. Oh, that's cute. Um, I love that for them, for your kids and for you. Um, and last thing, what's a word of wisdom or piece of advice you try to live by? There was this, uh, well, you, you maybe heard of seven habits of highly effective people. One, I had that training early in my career. And one thing love that it. I still think about, yeah, is that um, idea of starting with the end in mind, like to think about what your goal is and to work backwards from the goal. And I like to have like a plan A and a plan B. And um, I think that's really important to performance and career success, but also really important to work-life balance is kind of thinking in terms of where you want to be before you think of how to get there. Mm, yeah. Where you want to be before how I love that book. I, <laughs> there's a teen version I remember giving to my daughter because I thought it's just eternal, you know, it's just eternal kind of wisdom in that book. So, um, starting with the end in mind, love that. Thank you so much for joining and thank you all for joining the podcast today. We'll put information in the show notes on how you can access information about Dr. Morganson's research. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at Arlene underscore pace underscore green and be well. If you love this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. 
You're also invited to join my private email group where just for joining, you will receive a checklist for getting your LinkedIn profile in top shape and a link to the first chapter of my book. Click join the crew in the show notes. I also invite you to visit my website where you can shop our t-shirt collection designed to help you fulfill your purpose, love your work, and enjoy your life. I have them all, wear one almost every episode, and know you will love them. Thanks so much for joining me on this journey. Let's go. Thank you.